Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 142. Before we start off, this is so random, but today I went to get my blood checked to make sure it's thin enough, which it wasn't, but whatever. And they've changed places, which I hate change, but now it's right next to like the lab. Mm -hmm. And so the nurse was like, I don't really like this location. And I know why now, because when we were sitting there like discussing the thing, there was this kid screaming its head off. Like it was a young kid, like it had to be young, you know? And I was like listening to it. And I mean, it just kept going on and on. She was like, I hear it all day. Mm -hmm. I hear it all day. And I was like, but of course my mind goes to true crime shit. And of course I say it out loud because I'm like, listening to that, who can harm kids? Because like that was heartbreaking. Yeah. And it's like, they need that. And it's like, that is heartbreaking. She was like, it's a special kind of evil that can do that. You're so right. Do you know how many times I've been to that lab? And do you know how many times I've seen a kid there? None. Really? Not near one time. Mm. Well. Maybe it's the time of day. No? It was uh, lunchtime. Me too. That's usually when I go. (laughs) I don't know. And I had to go up to the place because they had no signs of, they just moved. Like literally this week. And they had no signs up of anything new. And so I was like, I'm going to say it's in this place. And I went to the to the nurse's station and, well, no. Yeah, the but, check-in kind of thing. Yeah, the check-in. I went up to the check-in and the girl's like, can I help you? And I'm like, well, I don't know where I am, but I'm looking for yeah. blah, blah, blah. And she was like, it's here. And I was like, okay, there's no signs. Like, signs. Signs would be nice. Yes. <laughs> well, Colby and I got new furniture this week, as you know, because I made you come see it the day we got it. A.K.A. we recorded. I was like, uh, I would have come and saw it anyway. <laughs> like, you had been like, Donna, you don't have to come tonight. Uh, bitch, I'm coming. I'm on my way. <laughs> you got something new. I'm coming to see exactly. it. Exactly. But I sat on her couch, could not get up on her bed. But <laughs> I, well, I could if I had like a running start, but like, I don't want to break it first thing, you know, like I'll let them break it and then you'd be okay because, you know, sex. Okay. Well, so there's the story. Y'all know I got a couch and a bed. <laughs> <laughs> Well, tell them about said furniture. (laughs) Well, the couch. (laughs) Just kidding. Okay. Well, we got a sectional that is very extra large pizza friendly. Like I'm talking the seats are wide. But when it came in, this like center console, because we got the kind that goes, you know, legs and stuff. And it has a place to like charge your phones and all of that. It's very she-she, but we got it very cheap. But the little console part, for lack of a better word, that like comes with the charger thing and the cup holders, it came out of the box fucking broken. So they're going to bring us that. But anyway, but it's a fucking great couch. Sans the part that we hadn't gotten yet. But the bed, that bed takes up the whole fucking room. Because our big asses are going from a queen to a king. That bed eats my room. (laughs) I didn't know what you were going to (laughs) say. I was like, wait, is that a new feature? Um, <laughs> you know, the old school bed, you put the quarter in and let this yeah. one eat. <laughs> right? I was like, I will try that out. Never mind. <laughs> Give me a step stool. <laughs> Legit, if I had that bed, I would need a step stool. No. You would need steps. <laughs> True. I don't, I didn't realize how tall it was, I guess. That motherfucker tall. I like it, though. Yeah. We're going to have to get new end tables, though, because those <laughs> So low. I was basically reaching to the floor. But we've slept in it for one night and both of us slept really good. So hopefully between that and the CPAP, I'm going to be a new woman. Cue a week later and she's like, I'm so fucking tired. Right. Well, you know, one can dream. (laughs) You know who's living the dream? Me. But do you know why? Because of Patreoners. (laughs) Thank you so much, Haley from Colorado. Savannah G. from Georgia. Tammy T. from Georgia. Sarah H. from Arizona. Daphne T. from Texas. Ashley Q. from Georgia. Julie J. from New Zealand. Ooh. And Lori D. from New Jersey. Joyzy. 
Thank y'all so much for joining Patreon. If you want an episode shout out and all of the extras that they're getting, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. I don't know. Like if we ever do a live show, like ever, I don't know who's going to win out first, Georgia or Texas, but they, they represent. Uh huh. I'm just saying. That was not foreshadowing the foreskin, by the way. No. No. For two reasons. One, COVID. <laughs> two, can y'all imagine Donna fucking live? <laughs> They're like, well, the Creepinati can because uh, they get they get me. Uh, yeah. No, we know. Mm-hmm. We had a watch party uh, last Saturday and you weren't there. And uh, I was Tell like, them why. Oh, because you're on a date. Mm-hmm. Well, what do we do? <laughs> Painting with a twist. The watch party, and I was like, they were like, Donna, you're here. And I was like, I am, and Carrie's not. And they're like, oh, shit. And I was like, freaky deaky Donna's here. And then I never did anything because, <laughs> it like, the movie was good. Like, it just, I was like, well, fuck. <laughs> before Colby, well, since Colby, too, but before Colby, she would tell y'all all my shit. Yeah, if you want to know about Carrie, just go back and listen to the lives, and you can watch her turn all shades of red. That's the damn truth. Well, you, you turn us shades of shocked with your story. <laughs> I don't know. So since this is the first episode coming out in December, I thought I would start off with a wholesome family story. But I couldn't find that. <laughs> well, I didn't think you would. Uh-huh. And instead, I found a quote-unquote family shrouded in folklore. I'm going to pretend that everyone doesn't know the origin of Christmas and the history around it. You know, it began as a pagan holiday. So I'm going to give you the Donna Cliff Notes version of it. Which is why we're here. Mm-hmm. So it's probably going to be wrong. No. Just. Inaccurate. <laughs> Maybe not all the facts. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's definitely not going to be all the facts. And you know, it's going to be big facts that I missed because I'm like, ooh, But they ate Jolly Ranchers, you know, Mm -hmm. like the most random thing. And it was watermelon. Flavored Jolly Ranchers. Yeah. (laughs) No, it would say Jolly Ranchers and you'd go, damn, what flavor? Uh Uh-huh. Donna, why is your story not done? Look, they were eating this and I really wanted to know exactly what they had. But I want to give you the history just a little bit because I feel like it'll help you immerse yourself in this week's tale. Because it takes place in Iceland and they do Christmas a little different. Their Christmas different. So picture a time centuries before Jesus was doing his thing. Early Europeans would celebrate the winter solstice because that marked when the worst of winter was behind them and sunlight would be extended. Also, at the end of December, most would slaughter their cattle because that meant they didn't have to feed them in the winter. And also that meant that they themselves would have fresh meat and a good supply of it. And then the cherry on top, did I say it right? No. Fuck. And then the cherry on top, Mm -hmm. probably the most important for celebrating, the alcohol that had been made during the year would finally be ready for drinking. There are all different kinds of celebrations, but most were rowdy and just fucking lit, like Mardi Gras lit. But we're focusing on the Norse and other Germanic cultures who celebrated Yule. The celebrations lasted from December 21st, which is the winter solstice, through the early part of January. And like I mentioned before, days were finally becoming longer. So people celebrated basically the rebirthing of the sun. And you've heard of the Yule log. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it's because Germanic families wanted to cleanse all the shit from that year and to welcome the spring. They burned the log for 12 days, and they thought by keeping the Yule log burning for those days, it encouraged the sun to move, which made the days last longer. Because some people thought that the sun stood still during the winter solstice. Also, for some good good, they would decorate it with holly, pine cones, wine, all the things, And when the log was completely ash, it wasn't discounted as trash. Rhymed. Did not know that. The people believed it had medicinal benefits and also warded off evil. Also a little tidbit. They believed that Odin, the Norse god, 
would ride across the night sky and visit them in their homes. So, I mean, you see some resemblance, right? Yeah. I could go on and on, and you'd be like, check, check, yeah, yeah. It's like pagan, but make it Christian. Like, that's what they did. Okay, like I said, it was really quick, like really quick. But also, there was some stuff I found when I was looking at the Christmas history that I had no idea about. It's two little things. From 1659 to 1681, celebrating Christmas was actually outlawed in Boston. And anyone who exhibited the Christmas spirit was fined five shillings. What? Yes. Yes. What? I know. And then Christmas wasn't declared a federal holiday until June of 1870, which I know was a long time ago, but like... Still, when you think of, well, how people say about Christmas and, like, the birth of Christ and all of that, you think, like, fuck, from the beginning of time. And then, like, it was always something. You know what I mean? Like, it just seems like 1870. I talk about ghosts that's older than that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there are houses in the United States older than that. Yeah. Also, most of that information came from history.com. Dot com. Yeah. Okay, so there was the history. Now on to the story. Twas the night before. Just kidding. Did you think I was going to do it like that? No, but trademarked, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Registered, copyrighted. True. Like I mentioned, this folklore is from Iceland. They celebrate Yule, J-O-L, which is Yule. Remember we talked about that? Mm Mm-hmm. So just know that there are some places that are jolly and full of holly, but also there's full of terror. Ooh, dun-dun-dun. Even on holidays. Uh, For a lot of people, that's when they are full of terror. That's what I just said. No, I know, but I'm saying like... (laughs) I know, I know what you meant. Sometimes it's especially on holidays. Yeah. Picture it. There's this Christmas witch known as Grilla, Which loosely translates to Growler. Shit. Right? She's basically a BBW that you don't want to mess with. Krampus could never. Okay, so like any queen would, she began with oral. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Like oral accounts of her. But then the first written accounts were in the 13th century. And I'm going to say just one part of one just to show you like... Wait, what? Like, she a badass bitch. Don't mess with Grilla. Down comes Grilla from the outer fields with 40 tails, a bag on her back, a knife in her hand, coming to carve out the stomachs of the children who cry for meat during Lent. (laughs) Shit. Right? I mean, they need protein. God, Grilla. You a BBW, you know. Uh, she could be a vegan BBW. Very true. However, I know she's not. How? Because she eating kids' stomachs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Among other parts. <laughs> like their whole body. Hey. She's known as an ogress or a giantess. And she's also thought to be half troll. She is tough as nails and mean as hell's... Question mark, just trying to make it rhyme. She lives in the mountains and mostly described as enormous and repulsive. Okay, those two should not go hand in hand. So, fuck you, Tails. <laughs> well, it's because she really is a giantess. And, well, okay. Like the written account I just read, she does have multiple tails, but the amount changes because, you know, no one's really lived to know for sure. Here's, like, where... They get the repulsive part, but she has hooves, horns, and lots of warts on her face and really large ones on her nose. (laughs) (laughs) It's repulsive with a lowercase r. But let me tell y'all, even though they say she's hideous, she must have had the good good too because she had three husbands. She's got the golden pussy. <laughs> Whistle tones of my wheeze. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Grilla, we got you, girl. <laughs> well, 
Reportedly, she ate the first one when she got bored with him. And, I mean, a girl has needs. Maybe this was the only way he filled her up. I was going to say, maybe that was the only satisfaction she ever got from That's him. That's right. The only time he hit the right spot. <laughs> <laughs> We're so wrong. We're so wrong. We're being naughty, but nice. <laughs> anyway, she's always in a bitchy mood because she's basically hangry. And the only thing that will satisfy her is... Children. Exactly. Yes. She has the same ability as Santa Claus to know when kids are bad, all the misbehaving kids, year round. So in true evil fashion, on cold winter nights, she leaves the mountain and preys on nearby towns, snatching up the badass kids and turning them good. Well, into a good meal for her, a delicious stew that she craves all year long and the snow falls and covers up her footprints like she was never even there by 1746 icelandic kids were so fucking terrified that they were going to be eaten their bellies carved out and then boiled to make the stew they would not leave their homes and so the government had to step in and they put a ban on using grilla as like an intimidation tactic because yeah. that's what that is. And I mean, in a way, Santa Claus is too. Yes. To be, hey, you better be good. This is just the other way. Like, you're going to get a piece of coal from Santa. Your belly's going to be gone. You're going to be disemboweled by yeah. Grilla. Right. She's going to be all up in your grill. Like, she wants something crunchy. <laughs> She's going to floss with your intestines. Oh, God. <laughs> 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 Who came up with that? You. <laughs> All I can think about is boudin and stuff. Yeah. Like, okay. And remember the three husbands she had? Mm-hmm. Well, what happens when you're stuck in the mountain with nothing to do? Sex. That's right. She got her freak on. They had 13 sons, and they were known as the Yule Lads. In the beginning, they were known to be just as evil as their mama Grilla, they were like a menace to society. They were pranksters, but not like the funny pranks. Like, haha, your leg got cut off pranks. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm sure they did something like that. I just made that up. But you know what I mean? Like, they weren't like, oops, I tricked you. Yeah. Like, no. Like, oops, you're dead. Then they would fetch the naughty kids and eat them with their mama. How do they know she had 13 kids? I mean, I know it's like a like a tale, but it's like, and why 13? And why boys? Well, hell if I know. I know. No, I know. I'm just like, like they're. Well, I mean, she might have had more. She might have ate them. I don't know. She might have not had any because she didn't exist. Grilla, she'd been naughty. I've been nice. Okay. Who believes that? Well, skipping over Carrie's hard questions to answer. <laughs> <laughs> we can't be logical in this story. Well, as time passed, they got a better rep. Like, now they're considered Iceland's version of Santa Claus. And here's the thing about the 13 Yule Lads, which I fucking love their name. Like, it sounds like a fucking band or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I love them. They leave the mountain and go into town one by one during the last 13 nights before Christmas slash, you know, Yule they leave small gifts in shoes that children place in window sills. But if they've been naughty, they leave a rotten potato in the shoe. Ew. <laughs> but just because they're like Santa Claus doesn't mean they are really like him. They're still pranksters. But now they're not like violent. They're just random as fuck. So get ready to meet the Yule Lads. Sheep coat Claude. He goes into Cheryl's sheep sheds and he <laughs> will get a sheep and suckle on her teeth. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Then there's Gully Golf. That, that's all he does? Well, that's his thing. And then he will leave trinkets or potatoes. Well, how do they know that? The next morning they don't have any milk? I mean, they might. he might still be there in the morning. I don't know. He might be milk drunk. <laughs> 
Then there's Gully Gawk. He steals the foam from the buckets of cow milk. Like, that's all that's left, the, like, remnants of it. So he takes that, and he will eat that. Mm-hmm. The what from what? Like, the foam from the buckets of cow milk. It's the remnants of it, yeah. That's fucking disgusting. Yes. See, this is why I am not a farmer. I, this is why I live <laughs> in cities. Slash, kind of, the suburb now. But, uh-uh, I am not cut out for farm life. Thank you, everyone who is. This girl is not. I don't like people to drink white milk out of a clear glass, okay? Yeah, you weird as fuck. I can't. I would be like, oh, gully gulk, we cannot be together. You, no. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. There's no sense in that. Well, then there's one called Stubby. Poor guy. I know. He's short. I feel you, dude. He steals food from frying pans. Then there's Spoon Liquor. <laughs> and he licks spoons. You can never make brownies in <laughs> No, yeah, just make it with a mixer and be like, well, it's not a spoon. Oh my God. This story. <laughs> <laughs> That was funny. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then there's Pot Scraper, a.k.a. Pot Licker. And he steals unwashed pots and he licks them clean. I mean, he's the best one. I mean. Then there's Bowl Licker. He steals bowls of food from under the bed. Sometimes they would store, like, food underneath the bed. Okay. I don't know. Did I mean, you saw my face? Yeah. Okay. I don't know why, but uh, for the rats to eat, what the fuck? Right. Then there's this one. You will hate door slammer. He stomps around and slams doors to keep everyone awake. Fuck him. And then there's Skyre Gobbler, and he eats up all the Skyre. I might be saying that wrong, but it's Icelandic yogurt. Then there's me. Sausage swiper. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. He lo- he loves to steal sausages. Here's also me, window peeper. <laughs> he likes to creep outside of windows, and then if he sees something like that he likes, he's like, mm, I'll go take it. Then there's door sniffer, and he has a really big nose, and he can smell doors. <laughs> but he can smell, like, really well, so it's, like, through the doors, and he can smell, like, all the good baked goods, and he loves to steal the baked goods. Then there's Meat Hook, and he snatches up any meat left, especially smoked lamb. That is his delicacy. Not sausage. He leaves that for his brother. <laughs> and then there's Candle Stealer, and he steals candles, which was, like, a sought-after item yeah. in Iceland. But, okay, think about this. Most of that revolved around food. Mm -hmm. So, like, they can't, they had to clean up their act. They can't eat the kids anymore. And so now all they have are these, like, leftovers. And it's kind of sad to be a Yule lad. Or a kid woke up in the middle of the night and was like, damn, I'm hungry. And then ate all the sausage and was like, it was sausage snicker. (laughs) Right. And also... Obviously, those were the English pronunciations because hmm, there's 13 of them and there's no way that I was going to be able to get all of those correct. Or one. I wouldn't be able to get one right. And, I mean, they're also weird as fuck. So, (laughs) it's just like, hmm. But you might think I'm done with their family. But no folklore family is complete without a trusty companion. And here enters the Yule Cat. Sounds fluffy and happy, but no, it's a huge cat. Like, towering over buildings, huge. Like Clifford the Big Red Dog, but a cat? Mm Mm-hmm. But Yule Cat also has glowing eyes, and his hair is described as sharp as needles. And like I said, he belongs to Grilla and her fam, so it stays in the mountains with him. But during Christmas time, the Yule Cat lurks through the town on Christmas Eve and eats kids who didn't get new clothes for Christmas. Well, like, it's their fault their parents couldn't afford it. 
And the Yule Cat is fucking smart. I mean, terrible, but he targets the poor areas too because he knows that they probably won't be able to afford it and he's going to be like Templeton on Charlotte's Web eating up all the fucking kids. Well, that's so fucked up. I know. So if any of the townspeople heard a meow, they knew that danger was soon to follow and more than likely death. Some say that farmers used the threat of the Yule Cat to make sure that their workers finished doing all the wool before Christmas. So it'd be like, if you finish it, you're going to get rewarded in some new clothes that you can give to your kids and blah, 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 blah. But those who didn't wouldn't get any and thus be prey for the Yule Cat. Mm. It's also said that it was a threat for children so they wouldn't be lazy and they would help their families finish the wool because wool was like super important to Iceland's economy. And so it was just like, again, kind of like a boogeyman on that. Which is what a boogeyman's always about, Mm -hmm. keeping people in line to get them to do what you want them to do. Yep. And just when you think like, oh my God, this folklore is so old. Just recently, Grilla and the Yule Lads appeared in the Christmas episode of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Like the Teenage Witch? Yeah, on Netflix, where like the Yule Lads do their pranking and terrorize the household, and Grilla is trying to steal the baby from Sabrina's aunt. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I watched that, and I did not know that was this until I read that, and I was like, makes sense. I see it now. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, Okay. The Yule Cat appears in 2020 Netflix, The Christmas Chronicles 2, and the Yule Cat's being chased by Santa Claus, and he's, like, friends with bad guys and stuff, so it's like, oh, he evil, mm-hmm. so blah, 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 blah. But, like, it's they're still around. Yeah. And, like, there's, like, statues and everything. Like, it's a celebration, but, like, you can't use it as, like... The intimidation kind of thing and whatever. I suck. And there was some website that had an interview with someone and they were like, no, no. Like, I know it sounds stupid, but like, we were terrified. Yeah. I'm like, no, it doesn't sound stupid. Like, raw head and bloody bones, uh, my mama had me, okay? Yeah. Well, I was going to say, like, every area has their folklore like that. That as an outsider coming in, you're like, That sounds so ridiculous. But when you grow up hearing it, when you're in those like formative years where it's, it's terrifying. And Mm -hmm. so it's like, yes, as an adult listening to it, I'm like, oh my God, that's so silly. But I completely understand why it would seem so real to them and so scary. Yeah. Because you could literally take anything that we were terrified of growing up, even Candyman and Bloody Mary and all of that, and tell it somewhere else and they'll be like... That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Right. What do you mean you put your fingers under somebody and said light as a feather, stiff as a board? Right. I thought this was a good way to start it off. Like it's, I mean, it's quote unquote scary, but it's also like lighthearted and I tried to keep it lighthearted and stuff. So I thought it was just like a good intro in to December. Well, I see your family and I'm going to raise Annie. Ooh. And by that, I mean, I'm going to talk about Ronald Gene Simmons and his family. No, I know what you're thinking. Not the rock star. Trigger warning about my story. It's pretty heavy. Obviously, it's about family. So there will be some kids involved. This guy was on the verge of being, I think without realizing it, a cult leader. But not at all. But he had the makings for it. Let's start with his background. He basically was a piece of shit from the jump. I also want to say that there was this article written by Delaney R. Bartlett that I got a bunch of this information from because uh, Delaney did a good job. He was very abusive towards his younger siblings, which sounds like, okay, he hit his younger siblings, but it wasn't just like sibling rivalry. He definitely took it a step further. 
do you have examples of this? Because we all know that you were saying Ed Kemper's childhood was odd. And I was like, I mean, that sounds normal. Even if I did, I wouldn't. Because you would probably say that it was normal. (laughs) You'd probably be like, yeah, I did that. (laughs) He was known for manipulating people. He would manipulate his parents, his siblings. And then when he didn't get what he wanted, he would just erupt in these fits of rage and could never admit when he was wrong. And I feel those side eyes, Donna. I feel them. I know you want to say that that's how I am. And look, does that describe every kid manipulate their parents some, beat up their younger siblings, can't admit when they're wrong, and pitch fits? Yes. But like I said, his was all part of a more narcissistic personality disorder type where it was, again, More to the extreme. When Gene was in second grade, his family moved to this small town in Hector, Arkansas. They lived a life that your girls over here could not fucking live. It was this old farmhouse. Sounds lovely, right? It had no running water. No, not a fan. No, no fucking way. Look, I always say, if I don't have a toilet and an air conditioner, I'm not going. Yes, and that also sounds like... It could be the start of a scary movie. Mm -hmm. An old farmhouse. Mm -mm. It was also 20 miles away from the nearest paved road. Not to the nearest city. To the nearest paved road. Do you know how long it probably took them to go to town? But Gene fucking loved it. It was some of the happiest times of his life. And his whole adult life was trying to get back to the simple life and returning back to Arkansas. When he was 17, he dropped out of high school and joined the Navy. And he really flourished in the military. He was very controlling and liked order. He liked rules. He liked organization. He liked protocol. He liked knowing where things stood. And so... He did very well in the military. While he was in the Navy, he met a girl named Rebecca, who goes by Becky. They met at a USO dance, which is so cute to me, but we hate him. And they fell in love. They wrote letters back and forth while he was stationed overseas. And then in 1960, they got married and they had their first child, Gene Jr., in 1961. A few years after they got married and had their first child, Gene retired from the Navy and started working as a banker. And he was actually really good at the job. But basically, he was such an asshole that everybody hated him and he couldn't get any promotions and all of that. So after just about two years as a banker, he went back and joined the Air Force. And again, Gene really flourished in the Air Force. Same thing, just like the Navy. He got the organization. He got the rigid schedule and rules and all of that that he really thrived under. And so for the next 18 years, he did really well. He got a lot of accommodations and awards. He got a bronze star. He got the Air Force ribbon for excellent marksmanship. Like he got all of this stuff. He was part of this, like, Office of Special Forces, too, overseas, and, again, was just doing really well for himself. Becky was exactly the type of wife that Gene wanted. She was very meek and very accommodating to him and really believed that he was the head of the house and what he said goes. He set all the schedules from things like when they had their meals to... When the laundry was done. Well, Jean, laundry could be done, but uh, it's not going to be hung up for uh, three more weeks. Oh, Uh, my spare bedroom has turned into uh, our walk-in closet. (laughs) The spare bed is my new chest of drawers, which until I was like 21 years old, I thought was actually called Chester drawers. Uh, Me too. Hashtag country accents. (laughs) And of course, he also was in charge of the finances, He paid all the bills because he made the money. She stayed at home. She was getting an allowance that she was required to run the household on. And it wasn't very much. But Becky loved Jean and she truly believed that what he was doing was best for her and the family. During his stint overseas, 
while he was in the Air Force, he was an officer and was basically getting royal treatment. He had room service and people to do his laundry and all of these things. And when he was on his R&R time, which is like, you know, rest and recuperation or whatever, basically free time in the military, he would go from Saigon, which is where he was stationed, to Australia and again, live his best life. Meanwhile, Becky is at home with their now three kids and living in this DVD trailer on her parents' land and he would only give her $40 a month to support her and the kids. How in the actual fuck are you supposed to feed three kids and an adult on $40 a month? How in the fuck can he do the bills and shit when he's in Saigon? Beats me. Because they didn't have online fucking banking. Well, I don't know. But really, what bills did they have? I mean, if they, let's say they bought the trailer outright, it's on her in, like, it's on her parents' land. Electricity? Maybe. But it's probably all just coming out. They don't have automatic drafts. Or it may be deferred because he's uh, he's deployed. Well, how does he have the money? Well, I don't think It would know. go to the... I just, okay, well, we're not the first person to ever think of this. Like, families have been having loved ones go overseas to war for decades. Centuries, even. Hmm. So, I'm sure there's a way. Even if he just said... Like, even if he got a check delivered, mailed to the house, and he said, this goes in the account, and this is how much you can get out. He's the head of the house, and if she really feels like what he says goes, she's going to do what he said, no matter what. I can't be trusted. Well, we know that. Because I'd be like, bygone, because you in Saigon, and we're going to eat. I knew you were about to make a fucking (laughs) reference to that. All right, moving on, because I don't understand. Well, but you're not going to, and you can't put that on her. No, not that. I don't understand the check thing. But then, I guess, they get paid in hand by the whatever, the forces. Because I'm thinking, someone said that they sent it back to their wife, and she put it up. And she didn't spend any of it. And so, then they had a lot of money after that. So, maybe they just get paid, like, in person. And it's not, like, mailed to them. When he comes home from Saigon, he moves the family to Cloudcroft, New Mexico, because there he starts working with, well, I'm just going to say alien shit. It's not, but it's something to do with, like, military in New Mexico. So in my head, alien shit. Like, it's totally not, but, you know, a paranormal chicks. While living in New Mexico, they had four more kids. So now they have seven Well, here's the thing, is that he was as hard on the kids as he was on his wife. And that included not only the financial abuse that we talked about already, but physical abuse. He really wanted the family to live off the grid. You remember how he did when he was a kid. He really enjoyed that. And that was the goal for his family. But he did it in a way, okay, so like, They had a telephone in the house, but it wasn't plugged up to anything. The kids weren't allowed to use it. It was just there as a reminder of he's in control and this is available to you, but he's not going to let you use it. It was just a way to to mindfuck them. Every so often, the kids were allowed to have friends over, but the friends always said how uncomfortable they felt and how it was like, Gene was always looking at them like, why the fuck are you here and when are you leaving? Like, he made them feel so uncomfortable. The kids had to put in a lot of work around the house after school, which, okay, kids had chores. But it was nonsensical chores. Like, he would literally have them move rocks from one side of the property to the other. Like, like big rocks. Like, picture, like, heavy, like, paving stone type things. He would literally just have them move them across the property back and forth, no rhyme or reason, just to have them working. At this point, the family's finances are in pretty dire straits, but he would take out loans from banks, from relatives, anywhere he could get it to buy himself 
whatever he wanted. Trucks, motorcycles, that kind of thing. Meanwhile, the family is suffering. Going back a little bit to 1977, this is when Becky had had their final child, a daughter named Rebecca Lynn. Keep in mind, this is the last of seven children, and every single one of the kids had been underweight. And Becky had had a really hard time with the pregnancies, all of them. But in this particular pregnancy, she had some health issues that her doctor said, if you have another child, it will kill you. And the doctor recommended that she get a tubal ligation. So she, aka her tubes tied. Also love how in one of the articles I read, it was like, but of course, this being 1977, Jean had to give permission. Um, that still happens. That your husband has to give permission for you to get a tubal ligation in the United States, in some states. So, well, with most female things, it's very hard to get anything done anyway. Oh, God, yes. And then if you have a husband, it's just another step. Yeah, they have to fucking sign their permission. Ugh. Well, here's the thing. Jean was, like, flat out refusing to sign permission for her to get a tubal ligation because he was like... It's taking away his virility and his manliness for her to not have his kids, right? I mean, she's literally begging and pleading, like, this will kill me if I have another kid. You will be left to take care of all seven of the... Th- Look, I don't know if she actually said this, but this is what I would say. You're going to be left to take care of all seven of these kids on your own. Like, do you want that? Because uh, I'm going to die. He finally said, fine. I'll fucking sign it. But he never forgave Becky because he felt like she put her own life and her wishes above him. But Jean said, okay, fine. You won't have my kids? I know who will. Sheila Marie, their oldest daughter. No. Yep. No. I don't know why, but for some reason I thought all of the kids were sons until the daughter. Nope. Well, okay, so all of Sheila Marie's life, he had doted on her. Like, it had been one of those things where he treated all of the kids like shit but her. Like, called her his little princess, his ladybug, blah, blah, blah. She got all the best presents at Christmas. Like, it was clear she was his favorite. Again, like I said, he was so mean to the other kids, but would just dote on her and all of that. When Sheila turned 15. 15? Yes. That's when Becky had her tubal ligation around that time and all of that. And that's when Jean first started molesting her. In March of 1981, Sheila was pregnant. Oh, my gosh. And, of course, Jean's the father. Of course. Now, I've read a couple of different accounts of what happened next. I do know that on Sheila's prom night, Jean gathered the family, including Becky, and said, okay, Sheila's pregnant. Some stuff said that he didn't tell them it was his child, but that Becky just knew. Some stuff said that, no, he he told them, Sheila's pregnant, and it's my kid, and... I'm super fucking excited about it. And y'all are going to keep your damn mouth shut because it can send me to jail. That's what I feel like what would happen since he was so like, yeah, I definitely think that that's more of what happened as well because he doesn't think there's anything wrong with what he did because he views his wife, his kids as his fucking property. Right. And he probably didn't even say like, don't tell her I'll go to jail. He's probably just like, how will y'all live without me? Y'all won't, so don't say anything. True. Well, I mean, at this point, Sheila's 15. You know, what I said is 1981. They got married in 1960. So, I mean, it's been 21 years of abuse and brainwashing for Becky. Like, there's, I mean, can you imagine? No. Some stuff says that word got out. But other stuff that I found said that Gene Jr., being the protective older brother, was like, this is not fucking okay. And told a counselor at school 
who told social services. Social services opened a case and questioned Sheila, who admitted that Gene was the father. And look, there is so many things that go wrong in this case, and this is one of them. I don't understand what happened. Some stuff said that the family had to go to counseling. Some stuff said that after she said that it was his kid, that they had done a protective order to get her and the other girls out of the house. But either way, the baby was born and they named her Sylvia Gale. And before anything could be done legally, they ran back to Arkansas. And so it was just like, oh, well, they they moved to another state. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. Guess I can't prosecute them. Like, and it was just like it was fucking over. Wow. Well, they were forced to go by dickhead. Oh, yeah, for sure. The first place that they stop is Ward, Arkansas. They settle in there, and Jean continues to sexually abuse Sheila. Ugh. She gets pregnant again. Oh, my gosh. Well, this time, Sheila is like, please let me get an abortion. And he is very pro-life and is like, absolutely not. You are not going to get an abortion. You know, this is my child and, you know. Yeah, he's all the a things. breeder. Yes. But somehow she convinces him. And he takes her and in secret, she gets an abortion. By this time, Sheila is now 18 years old. And she graduates from high school and she starts taking business classes in Little Rock. This is the first place in Arkansas that I fucking know. <laughs> and I do business in Arkansas. And I'm like, where the fuck are, like, I don't know any of these places. Well, Sheila meets and starts dating a guy by the name of Dennis McNulty. Now, keep in mind, Gene controls everything. There's no phone in the house. He reads every single piece of mail that comes into and goes out of this house. So, Sheila had to date Dennis in as much secrecy as possible. Spoiler alert, uh, Sheila ends up marrying Dennis. She tells him that her daughter is actually Jean's and about all the abuse that she's gone through. And he rescues her oh, from it gosh. all. And it tells piece of shit Jean, if you ever lay another hand on her, like, I'll kill you kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, so this guy is a real man. Yes. Oh, and Dennis legally adopts Sylvia Gale. Aw, that's sweet. And they ended up having another kid named Michael. Okay, so back to shithead. So at this point, he moves the family to Dover because he finds this 14-acre area, and it's called Mockingbird Hill, and it's got this, like, really old trailer on it, and there was, of course, no phone. They had to use jugs for cooking and cleaning. There was indoor plumbing, but just to the shower. So I don't know why they wouldn't use that water for cleaning and cooking, but they would catch water in jugs and buckets that were like lined up along the roof for all the other stuff. This is Mockingbird Hill has eyes. Yeah. Mockingbird Hell. Yes. Oh. It also had an outhouse because there was no like indoor plumbing as far as like, you know, toilets. And when it would rain really bad, the outhouse would overflow into the pond. Mm-mm. Yeah, that's fucking no. nasty. Nasty. To make ends meet, he ends up taking this job at a law firm and wasn't making very much money, but he had this coworker named Kathy Kendrick, and he was relentless hitting on her. And she was like, back off. Like, I'm not interested. Like, back the fuck off. You know, he wouldn't take a hint. So she finally went to a supervisor, and he was fired. By this time is when Sheila had moved out and gotten married. So had little Jean or Jean Jr. and their son Billy. They had both moved out to start families of their own. 
Gene had started a job at this little Minute Mart and quit the job. So he was having a hard time keeping down a job. And he felt like his life was spinning out of control. His kids were moving out. He had lost Sheila to another man. And they had had a kid. You know, it was just all of this stuff. And he was losing control of this family that he had had control of for so long. The other thing that was happening that was making him feel like he was losing control is that he was in kind of a depression. Like, he had grown his beard out and was spending most of his time in his room by himself. Becky was spending most of her time in the kids' rooms because she had been depressed. But she had also been writing Gene Jr. letters that Gene Sr. didn't know about because she would like go off to send them off because she and I don't even know how she did it because it's pretty amazing because she would even have to ask him money for stamps so I don't know how she did it but she would send him letters and because he had opened a P.O. box for her but I don't know how she got the money to send the letters but anyway they had been plotting how she was going to escape Christmas was coming up and everyone was coming home for Christmas and I think that that was going to be her big escape was she was going to leave with them. With everyone coming home for Christmas and that fucking outhouse flooding like that, right? Gene got some of the kids to build this like four foot deep, like ditch for a new outhouse. On December 22nd of 1987, when the younger kids left for school, Gene went into the room where Gene Jr. was staying, who was there with his three-year-old daughter, Barbara, he had a metal pipe and he bludgeoned Gene Jr. thinking that he had killed him. But when he realized he hadn't, he shot him. Oh my gosh. So he made them dig their own grave? In another bedroom, Becky was holding three-year-old Barbara, begging Gene to not kill them. Gene shoots Becky and then takes fishing wire and then uses like a garrote to strangle three-year-old Barbara. Oh my gosh. He then puts their bodies into a wheelbarrow and dumps it into the pit that the kids had just dug a couple of months earlier. Mm. Then he poured kerosene all over their bodies because he thought that by pouring them, like pouring kerosene over them and lighting them on fire, that it would keep the smell of decomposition away. Then he went back to the house and watched TV and drank beer. They had TV? Apparently you could have TV, but you couldn't have a telephone. Okay. I'm sure he controlled what they watched. Oh, I'm sure. His off the grid is very strange. Right. Well, then Loretta, Eddie, Marianne, and Rebecca get home from school. And he comes out and he says, oh my gosh, y'all, I have such a big Christmas surprise for y'all. He leaves them in the car listening to Christmas carols and takes them inside one by one to show them their presents. When he takes them inside one by one, he strangles them and holds their heads underwater in the rain barrel to strangle and drown them. He then takes them out to the pit that he had had them dig earlier. And the same thing as with the first set of bodies, covered them in kerosene and then covered them with some dirt, some barbed wire and scrap like tin. What the John List is going on here? Yeah. Well, keep in mind, the other kids, Billy and Sheila, and their families hadn't gotten there yet. Well, old fucking Gene had some goddamn patience. He waited for four days for Billy, his wife Renata, and their infant son Trey to come. When they got there, he shot Billy and Renata and then strangled Trey. He laid the adult bodies by the dining room table, very John List of him, and covered it with coats and bedding. Again, very fucking John List of him. And then he put Trey's body wrapped in plastic in the trunk of a car that was behind the house. 
Lastly, Sheila and Dennis with Sylvia Gale, who's seven at the time, and their new son, Michael, who's just under two years old. Jean shot Sheila and Dennis and then strangled both children. Sylvia and Dennis's bodies were laid in the dining room with jackets covering them just like Billy and Renata's. And then Michael's body was wrapped in plastic and placed in the same trunk as Trey's. But Sheila, being his favorite, was laid out on the dining room table and then covered with their best tablecloth. Gee, thanks, Dad. Right? Then he went into town, picked up some gifts that they had ordered, and then went to a bar, drank some, then went home and basically hung out for the weekend with these fucking bodies. Then, on December 28th, he went back into town to that law office where he used to work and shot and killed Kathy Kendrick, the one who told on him for fucking being inappropriate. What a fucking incel. Yep. Then he went to this other company where he had worked, and he shot and killed a guy named J.D. Chaffin, and then he wounded a guy named Rusty Taylor. Then he went to that mini-mart where he used to work, and he wounded two more people by shooting them. Then he went to another place he used to work and shot and wounded another woman at that place. He just hung out and chatted with the secretaries until the police got there. What? Yep. And then he said, like, I've I've killed who all I've wanted to kill. Like, I've I've gotten everybody I wanted to get. Wow. Yep. So, all in all, he was charged with 16 counts of murder. Wow. He was found guilty and sentenced to death by lethal injection, plus 147 years. In the afterlife? Yeah. Okay. He refused all appeals. So there were like two people who appealed on his behalf. One was a preacher and one was another inmate. And basically they were both ruled like you have no grounds to appeal for him because he didn't want an appeal. But like the inmate did it because how it could have set a precedent that could have affected his. Anyway, he was killed by lethal injection June 25th of 1990. And this was the quickest sentence to execution time since the death penalty was reinstated in 1976. Dang. After he was killed, none of his relatives would claim his body. And he was buried in a pauper's field. Well, damn, who's he got left? True. Like, honestly, like, I mean, I guess cousins. Yeah, but still... Who gives a fuck? Who's yeah. left? Nobody fucking wanted him because he's a piece of shit. Yeah. He's a goddamn family annihilator. For sure. Like, legit. Yes. Oh, like other people's family and oh. Yeah. Like, he literally had to get every single person that he ever, like you said, in his incel brain, he deemed had done him wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was some more, like, how when they were kind of, quote unquote, living off the grid, how... When he thought people were onto him, he would, like, have the kids build up these walls around the house and all that. So, that's why I say, like, he was, like, almost could be a cult leader. Like, he kind of looked like a cult leader, too. But yet he wasn't, you know? Mm-hmm. Somehow my cannibalistic people uh, seem really nice compared mm-hmm. to yours. Yeah. 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 I mean, just the, the the torture that he put his family through for decades. I mean, poor Becky. And, and, I mean, poor them all. But Becky and Sheila definitely bore the brunt of it. I wonder if Sheila's daughter ever knew that her grandfather was actually her dad. You know? I would say, hey, we want to know what y'all think. But, um... We know. Yeah. We did want to know what y'all think about Donna's family. Yeah. The better family. <laughs> like the lesser. The ones uh, that will disembowel you. Mm-hmm. But maybe give you candy. I mean, you just better fucking act right. <laughs> right? Something I forgot to mention. I watched this YouTube video about Grilla, and someone's top comment was Santa. Ho, ho, ho. 
Grilla, nom, nom, nom. <laughs> and I was like, we could be friends. Uh, Yeah. We could be friends. I'm surprised you didn't write that. And only 15 people liked it, though. I was like, y'all don't. Come on. That is fucking funny. Well, we started off lighthearted. Right? I'm like, oh, this is a great way to start off December. And Carrie's like, kill everyone. Sad, sad, sad. Well, all of my stories are always sad, sad, sad. Sometimes it's just sad, sad. Oh, well, I'll try to make one just sad, sad. Well, I go first next week, so I can make it sad, 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 sad. And you could wrap it up and bring it home with, oh, No pressure, though. I mean, you know, I have faith in you. Mm. Y'all, there's not even really anything to say about this episode other than some bitch. <laughs> we hate that motherfucker. Yes, we do. And uh, tell your kitties to act right, or Grilla's going to come get them. And buy them some clothes. Buy them some socks. She's, maybe that's why grandmas and grandpas always bought socks and underwear for kids. Yeah, they still know about her. Mm-hmm. they terrified. We like a ho-ho-ho, not a nom-nom-nom. Yeah, exactly. Because y'all know that is a ho-ho-ho. <laughs> and now we have to go, go, go. Oh, God. And remember. Creep it real and, and don't, don't get scared. scared.